0: this is the retail podcast your b2b show for the best thought leadership in the industry bringing you education information and inspiration only on market scale on that third mega trend where consumers really have taken over the shopping channel they're walking into stores a lot more informed we don't
1: hide from the fact that retail is difficult you know every day is a challenge but that excites the customer they love that. In the retail space, there's no bigger 800-pound gorilla than Amazon. The Seattle-based giant is the market disruptor. So today on the Retail Podcast, we're talking to Andrea Lay, an Amazon insider, about the company's big moves over the last few years, what's possibly next for them, and what this means for brands selling on the retailer that sells everything from A to Z. Andrea is VP of Strategy and Insights for Ideoclick where she helps guide Ideoclick's over 200 brand manufacturer clients on their strategies to improve and sustain their sales on Amazon. Andrea, welcome. Thanks for having me. So I'd like to start with giving our listeners, I guess, some context. And uh, tell me just a little bit about your background, your work at Amazon, and now Ideoclick. I started at Amazon in 2005
0: as a senior vendor manager um, working in the grocery category and uh, spent 10 exciting, action-packed years there (laughs) uh, growing through the ranks to uh, category leadership. I worked across about 15 different product categories at Amazon. I was um, kind of in the launch of the CRAP program, which I think we'll talk about a little bit today. Can't realize a profit as well as writing the original business requirements for the price matching uh, software, um, carried that kind of pricing SME role through a lot of my time at Amazon. And um, my last role there before I left was leader for hard lines, consumables, and soft lines for Amazon Canada. And I also um, managed the Prime program in Canada and acted as our um, transportation and operations liaison. So lots of lots of different roles there, but all in the retail space, um, and all you know working on kind of fast-growing newer businesses, and most of the time in consumables. After Amazon, um, I started my own agency helping manufacturers with their Amazon strategy, did some independent consulting for a couple of years, and then joined Ideoclick. Ideoclick is co-founded by my husband, Justin Lay and Tom Furphy. Both former Amazon, Tom was also the VP of consumables at Amazon and launched Amazon Fresh. And And in this role, I lead strategy and insights. So I'm VP for strategy and insights And my job's really to stay on top of what Amazon's doing, what it means for our clients, and how we should be continually recalibrating our strategy um, for for maximum success. And Ideoclick is a managed services agency, uh, which means we're kind of like a full service provider with uh, I think the last count we had was around 150 years of past collective Amazon experience. Wow. (laughs) We're we're about 100 employees here in Seattle, um, right in the shadow of the Amazon campus. And uh, we uh, work with a little over 200 manufacturers doing full service management for their Amazon business. We work with them to develop a sound strategy based on their goals and then um, run all of the execution. So everything from content management, development and management, to marketing, to you know, hybrid selling, to uh, operational excellence, we do it all uh, with, a, with a software platform kind of underlying everything that does everything from our keyword bidding to workflow management to reporting.
1: I'm curious when you come off of that kind of experience, how did you find the market in terms of these uh, these sellers that are looking for help and support? How much of a need was there?
0: there was a there was a great need. i I had planned to take a couple of years completely off <laughs> and hang out with my kids. Yeah. Um, but you know the brands and manufacturers that I had worked with at Amazon, you know, a lot of them reached out and they and they needed help. And I will say, you know, it was a really fun experience, you know, getting to go through that growth trajectory with Amazon. In the earlier days, it was a lot more consultative. So, vendor managers would spend a lot of time with manufacturers. You know, I remember telling and becoming a manager of vendor managers and saying to my team, I want you spending 80% of your time talking to vendors. Um, And so we spent a lot of time troubleshooting businesses and coaching and teaching and helping manufacturers understand the platform. And I enjoyed that a great deal. But I will say in kind of my later years, getting closer to the 10-year mark and in in roles of increasingly senior leadership, um, you know, we just weren't spending as much time with manufacturers. And and I really missed that. So that's why I do what I do. I, I really love that process of kind of uncovering the growth opportunities working with the manufacturer to help them develop their strategy based on their goals and, and then actually watch you know, watching it happen and watching the hockey stick. It's
1: pretty exciting. Right. Well, uh, you said that you're literally there in, in the shadow of Amazon's headquarters, and, and so you keep an eye on what's happening over there. So, of the the big moves that Amazon's made in the past few years, will you kind of highlight some of the ones that really stand out to you as moves in the right direction for its particular retail business?
0: Yeah, that's a that's a really great
1: question. Um,
0: well, I mean, we've seen lots of. We've seen so many moves in recent years. So yeah. it's hard to choose ones that are um, you know, most important. So maybe I'll pick some that are kind of like most recent. Well, first, obviously healthcare. Um, you know, that's their foray into healthcare. I would characterize as planting a few seeds kind of in the last couple of years, doing some hiring, really kind of getting their feet under them in terms of what what are they gonna try to do in this space. And the seeds have been everything from let's let's hire folks that are have a lot of background in healthcare and healthcare administration and, and they've they've done a lot of work there, to you know, how are we gonna get Alexa to be able to tell if you're sick? And how are we going to use some of our, you know, the powerhouse that we have within our organization to um, automate a diagnosis? And, and there's there's a lot going on there and launching private labels. So I, I really feel like an industry that's, well, it's ripe for a disruption anyway. Um, and if anyone can do it, Amazon can. So so I think we're going to see some really interesting um, things happen there. You know, some of the more like tactical retail focused Um, activities they've engaged in there are the acquisition of PillPack, which allows them to do online um, prescriptions in, you know, in all 50 states, and the launch of their private label Basic Care, which is really kind of um, playing in some of the main categories like pain relief and sleep aids and, and things like that. They're also now accepting FSA cards. And I think, you know, when we think about all these seeds they're planting, the big theme around all of them and the big theme around everything Amazon does is, you know, how do we focus on the customer and making things more convenient for them? Um, And all of these activities will ultimately do that. But also, like all things Amazon does, they're throwing a lot of things at the wall and they're not really sure what's gonna stick yet, and I don't even think they know. So, um, you know, this joint venture with Berkshire Hathaway and J.P. Morgan, <laughs> just tr- trying a lot of things. You know, they're even tapping into the payment space with having like a clouds, cloud-based payments network. We'll see over time kind of which which parts of this model are most successful for them, but really all focused on, on consumer convenience, essentially. So I think that's one area that's, that's been really interesting, a disruptive area that they've focused on in recent years. There's been a lot of they've done a lot in terms of disrupting shopping utility. So, just thinking about like the consumer path to purchase, and you know if you think about that, it's things like just walkout technology, moving to the one day Prime shipping, four star stores, Amazon Key, where they'll like deliver it, come into your house and deliver it, voice based shopping. Um, again, all a common theme of customer convenience and I think it kind of touches on something that Jeff Bezos said where he, he doesn't believe they're in the business of selling things. they're in the business of helping people buy things. And so how do you create all these different types of conveniences that will help people buy things and and all and same thing with you know with all of these different formats. We don't know which are going to stick. there are a lot of things being thrown at the wall at least, in Seattle and some major markets between Prime Now and Amazon Fresh, um, you know we can probably expect some consolidation there over time. They're really overlapping uh, programs and technologies. I'm actually surprised they've let them run both simultaneously <laughs> as long as they have. Yeah. In fact, one of my jobs at Amazon and one of my roles, I worked on a program that was the precursor for uh, Prime Now where we were delivering general merchandise through sort of the Amazon Fresh network. Uh, And we had had another person on my team who was working on like a competing technology at the time which was called Amazon Tote. And that was a pilot that only made its way in Seattle. So it's not uncommon for Amazon to put lots of teams at kind of solving the same customer convenience challenge and seeing which ideas stick and um, you know for the for the model that doesn't win it's not certainly not the end of that person's career you know there are a lot of learnings that happen from that as an organization and that time is considered really well spent
1: you mentioned that bezos idea or theory that uh, we're in the business not of selling things to people but helping people buy things is that a major shift in his thinking from even five years ago where a lot of these private label Amazon products started to come about? You know, that's an interesting question.
0: So I think, I think Bezos has always believed they're in the business of helping people buy things. But private label is a really interesting topic. And, you know, kind of talking about recent themes, what Amazon's been up to over the last couple of years, private label, I think, is sort of an adaptation they've had to make um, to be able to sell certain types of products profitably in the e-commerce channel. And if you look at products like diapers and formula and dog food and, um, you know, some really like low priced electronics, conventional soup, you know, all these products are really hard in the e-commerce channel because of either the low selling price or the high weight of the product relative to the retail selling price. And Amazon you know, the thing that's common across all of their private label, and we tell manufacturers this when they come to us and say, oh my gosh, Amazon's launched a private label in my category, what do I do? Um, You know, take a really hard look at the product, because typically what they've done is they've designed it for online, and they've taken all of those costs between production and consumption out. And you know there's really some learning to be had by closely examining everything about the private label in your category so looking at and and the same holds true for um, brick and mortar retailers too you know they're they're typically trying to take a lot of the cost out of the equation as well um, with Amazon it's a little it has to it's a little more nuanced and potentially more innovative because they're designing it for shipping um, they're de- designing it for customer convenience and obviously the products they're Developing to begin with are based on a lot of data that they're using about what customers have searched for and purchase history and those types of things Um, But really what sets some of their private label apart is how well it's designed for e-commerce And there's an example that we always give about There's a, a brand wickedly prime on Amazon and they sell a chicken noodle soup and if you compare it with the leading brand Amazon, the leading brand is in cans, which are really heavy. They dent easily, and they create a lot of customer complaints. They also have to be overboxed and shrink-wrapped to keep them all together, um, et cetera. And looking at that cost and value equation, um, the cost is a lot higher. The Amazon private label, they've put the soup in boxes that a pack of six that sit neatly in a ship's in its own container box. So, you know, probably pretty much the same soup, but really taken a lot of cost out of the equation um, by reducing the weight and by, you know, packaging it in a more innovative format. In addition, it has the added convenience of being reclosable, which is something I know people always complain about with cans, you know, that they're not reclosable. So they've added a a convenience factor in there. So that product is gonna be highly successful because it it ships economically, it adds customer convenience. So we always tell clients when they're seeing private label in their categories to really let's, let's take a look at it together because there's probably some learnings there that you can apply to your own business.
1: That's a great point because you can study just about anything that Amazon does. It's certainly based in research and uh, has a lot of uh, kind of manpower and thought power behind it. So um, you started to mention something about uh the the crap program, and uh, the can't can't realize a profit, and how um, sometimes those products are very heavy items that are difficult to ship. Uh, Tell me a little bit about um, for those who who hadn't heard of this. I mean, I, I honestly, I had just read about this, uh, this acronym, uh, maybe earlier this year. And um, I was actually kind of surprised that such a what seemed like a very internal acronym kind of made it into the public uh, vocabulary but um explain what that uh the, the i guess the crap distinction is and what that means for third-party uh sellers yeah well so it's it's actually a term
0: that's um, typically more referencing first-party vendors so manufacturers who are selling product directly to amazon um and it's uh you know, it's if you're a manufacturer that sells product to Amazon, it's certainly not a new term for you. Probably lots of people listening today have yeah. been tortured by crap for years, yeah. <laughs> by crap conversations. Um, but it basically is Amazon's way of um, like denoting or uh, flagging products that they don't make money on, and they could make mo- not make money for a number of reasons. Um, you know, the 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 biggest reason is usually they're price matching someone who's treating it as a loss leader which either puts them at selling it really close to the product cost or often below the product cost so they're essentially selling it for less than what they bought it for you know bought it for so that's that's one reason that items might be craps most common reason the second might be that it's just really heavy and low, has a low selling price so those products would be things like pet food or you know more conventional pet food Um, cat litter, potting soil, um, you know, ironing boards, (laughs) anything that has a low selling price, but uh, the high weight or high bulk or girth, um, which increases the shipping cost. And, you know, Amazon, um, which is one thing that makes them kind of different as I guess, as like a retailer or yeah, as a retailer and as an adver- advertising platform, is that other retailers think about profitability typically at a basket level. So they're looking at you know, is the basket profitable or looking at the vendor as a whole and saying, is the vendor profitable? And on Amazon, every item has its own p and l, and every item has to stand on its own from a profitability standpoint. And if it doesn't, um, you know, a few different things might happen. Amazon might try not to sell very much of it. <laughs> and they can do that by um, <clears throat> you know, excluding those products from automation and personalization. So that's all of the, if you looked at this, you might also like this. Customers who bought this also bought this. Um, which, is a, which up until kind of the last couple of years when the ad platform sort of took over, um, was one of the biggest revenue generators on the site was that automation platform. So they might suppress products from that. Um, you know, they might, uh, you know, give you a ding, potentially in search results, although we don't have a lot of proven um, data around that. But I, if, it's, if it's not happening right now, it's coming. And then they also will not allow you to advertise it. So, <laughs> and Amazon's increasingly become pay to play. So if you think about some, you know, some of the big things that you, you your question in the beginning, so what are some of the big ways that Amazon's, big things Amazon's done in the last couple of years? Um, you know, the growth of the advertising platform's huge. You used to be able to sell a product on Amazon, and if you had a good price and good content that was search engine optimized, and it was a good product, it would it would sell. You build it, and they will come. And that's just not the case anymore. It's totally pay to play. So if you're if you're not able to advertise your products, um, you know you're you're kind of in in a tough spot. Uh, And then the last thing Amazon, last couple things Amazon might do if your products are unprofitable is they will they'll ask you for money, which. They ask. They'll ask for money anyway, um, <laughs> but they'll ask for more money. <laughs> so you won't. You'll be asked for for money to help make them whole or help their profitability. Or as sort of a last resort, Amazon will. They call it crap out the items. So they just won't carry it anymore. They'll say, mm, "We're not going to sell it." Um, so too bad for you. And and we don't want it on the platform anymore. They choose those items very strategically. Uh, they don't want to be missing assortment that other major retailers have. So they, they do choose those crap items pretty strategically. Um, and, you know, and you're always, you're always given the option to um, to pay to keep them on. But you have to pay like programmatically.
1: Right, right. CEO Jeff Bezos revealed in his um, annual letter to shareholders last month that third-party sellers make up a bigger share of sales on Amazon's marketplace than Amazon itself so I'm curious from your standpoint I mean how does this signal a major shift in Amazon's future strategies and how they go from here
0: yeah that was probably like the biggest and most important part of that shareholder letter and maybe one of the more important things that Jeff has shared recently at all and, you know, there are a couple of things going on there. So first, Amazon's always reported the sales of the third party platform as the commission that they take on those sales. So a small subset of those sales, somewhere between 20 and 30% of the actual sales, total gross merchandise that's sold. So it's always been understated and everyone always knew that, but we never really had a number. And he actually revealed for the first time, he said how much of the business it is. And it's just a little bit more than half. Of the total volume that Amazon does is on the third party platform. Um, so this is huge, and a lot of us who'd speculated at this data for a long time kind of went back and updated our models. <laughs> but the big question is why did he share that? Because Amazon is notoriously super quiet about right. sharing data, you know, anything having to do with you know data. They don't they data about their own sales, et cetera. They're very conservative. So so why did he share that? And I think I think there's a, well, there's a few reasons that it's happening. Um, you know, the, the first reason is their retail business is just not growing very fast anymore. I think in the Q1 financials, it was, uh, you know, something like 7%. So that, that retail business is just not growing very quickly. So they've been really making a lot of progress in pushing their third party seller platform as a, it's, it's a, it's both a, better growth opportunity for them because it scales faster. It always has, you know, sellers can add their own assortment and, you know, decide what they sell and they're not bottlenecked by needing to work with a team at Amazon to kind of be the gatekeeper for everything. Um, so it's a bigger, it's a bigger growth opportunity for them, uh, which is huge and it scales faster and it, in addition, is probably more profitable for them. You know, if you think about the number of headcount required to support a third-party seller versus the number of headcount required to support a first-party vendor, you know, the cost structure is better. And they don't lose money on those products by nature of the referral fee. So every product that's sold on the third-party platform, Amazon collects a commission. So it's a guaranteed profit center. So I think those are two really important reasons that that, platform is growing and that, and that it's more than half of the business. I think there's another reason that Jeff shared it on the on the earnings call, which is and the fact that a lot of the earnings call was about how they're fortifying that platform and making it easier for small businesses and you know basically like positioning themselves more as a platform because I think in today's political environment it's smarter for them to be positioned more as a platform that helps other manufacturers versus being um, you know a really large first party retailer.
1: From your standpoint, then, what is I guess what is your uh, your message to brand manufacturer clients and those that are uh, maybe feeling a little overwhelmed at uh, what's coming down the pike at Amazon and what kind of uh, help they can really enlist?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think this is this is a a time where Amazon has a lot of power and you know, in whenever the one party in a relationship has a lot of power, it's important for the other party to diversify. And so, you know, we recommend doing that by being hybrid sellers on Amazon. So selling directly to Amazon, but then assuming you're already doing that, and then also selling as a third party seller um, to kind of take a little bit of the control back and also have a backstop for when Amazon runs out of stock or won't order the product or, um, you know, we, we've we also heard some things coming about, you know, Amazon merging the vendor and seller platforms. And in the event that they do that, you have, you would have both accounts kind of ready, ready to go. Um, so we definitely recommend that. And then we also recommend, you know, really, uh, I will say a few years ago, when I would talk to CPGs, you know, they were doing, um, you know, less than 2% of their business online. And then all of that was Amazon. Now for a lot of the large CPGs, you know, it can be up to like 20% of their business online. Um, <clears throat> so it's becoming a larger chunk, but I think the ones that are holding more of the cards in the relationship are the ones who have other strong e-commerce partners. So just being diversified. And and I think it depends on the category, you know, whether that exists for you or not. You know, certainly in beauty and in pet care. Um, you know, those are two categories that have some, some good competition there for Amazon. Um, and I think having that diversification in your business and investing in, in all of your channels. Um, also to include brick and mortar, because I think a lot of the brick and mortar are doing innovative things in terms of like pickup and click and collect. Um, and some are doing home delivery, too. So if you've got some other options in your in your channel, you know, making sure that you're also focused on those. You need a differentiated strategy, but, you know, having kind of a a multi-pronged focus is important.
1: Andrea, thank you so much for all the insight today. I appreciate you joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me.